Hi, I'm Tony Karen Brown. And I'm Benedict Evans. What are we talking about today, Benedict? Oh, yeah. Um, is it my turn? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, so I thought we would talk about Metaverse. Yeah. And um, the thing that occurred to me was um, that as we sort of sit and look at the the stock market and think, you know, that oh, no green on the screen, no green on the screen. Um, and um, it sort of reminds me a little bit, particularly looking at the numbers of um, sort of 2000, mm-hmm. 2001 and the kind of that crash. And the reason it occurs to me is that um, that was just sort of the time that people had first got very excited about mobile internet. Um, And um, then we go through the crash. And mobile internet turns out to be quite an important thing, but it happens sort of, it really only starts happening sort of seven to ten years later. Um, People thought it was happening a lot earlier. You know, there were lots of devices around. People thought it was happening and then suddenly, vroomph, the the chart explodes in sort of 2009, 2010. And, you know, if one looks at, you know, uh, Web3, it's sort of realistic mm-hmm. to say, you know, what point are we going to see hundreds of millions of people using a consumer, mass market consumer app that's built on a blockchain? Yeah. Well, not next year. Yeah. Um, and sort of five to 10 years is kind of a realistic sort of time frame for that. Obviously, in tech, when you say 10 years, you're talking about the age of sci-fi, but, you know, five to 10 years. And the same thing for quote unquote metaverse, which is, you know, what point do we think we might have? billions of people wearing something that looked like a pair of glasses as their main or only computing experience. Mm. Um, and is that that and that's a sort of a five to ten year kind of a story, isn't it? I like what you said there of just like looking at the parallel of we think we're in it, but we're actually five, seven years away. And I, I say that in that we're all talking about it right now as if this is happening. And it is happening. But realistically mm. We're five, maybe seven years out to it actually. Oh, yeah. I mean, everyone, I mean, so, you know, archetype of this is that in the spring of 2000, the European mobile operators spent about 120 billion euros buying Spectrum for 3G. Yeah. Um, so people really thought this was a big deal and they thought it was going to happen kind of right now. And in fact, I, 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 there's a chart in the last presentation I did of you know, sales of what I then call, now call sort of proto-smartphones. So Palm and BlackBerry and Nokia Series 60 and um, sort of, um, Sony Ericsson, Ericsson P800 and all those kind of things. Um, and it didn't, in like 2005-06, it did kind of feel like it was working. Like, you know, there are more and more devices, they're getting better and better, the services are growing, the usage is growing. And look at what we've been then able to this, do and look at what we're Yeah, achieving. it's like this is the year of mobile and then the iPhone comes along and like <laughs> ah. blows a hole through the ceiling. Although it took, interestingly, it took a couple of years for that actually, actually to have the sales really to take off. So it wasn't 2007, it was like 2010. Then the sales and then the Android sales at the same time kind of really explode. Um, so all of this is to say, like, like, if you are a complete Bitcoin maximalist and a complete Metaverse maximalist, go, great, it's five years out. And so what does that mean? Um, and what might, what, what might that look like? And um, I was sort of sort of prompted to talk about this partly um, just because I'm sort of intrigued by the word Metaverse yes. and the way it gets used to sort of mean everything and nothing. And it's become a sort of catch-all term to mean almost literally anything that you might think might happen in tech in the next five to ten years. And also sometimes synonymous with web free, which is really confusing because it's fundamentally yeah. different. Which is not what anybody actually working on web three thinks. That's it. Yes. But 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 you absolutely get people saying that NFTs are a metaverse thing. And well, that's not what that's not what those that term was what people think of as that as that term as meaning. Um, and so I think that you know there's sort of a grounding point. You know, if in five to ten years we are all using consumer services or business services or you know 
infrastructure or something that's all running on blockchains, which is basically what we mean by Web3, like you can build Instagram on a blockchain. Um, that is completely independent of whether we all are also all wearing glasses that can play stuff into the world around us. So if Web3 doesn't happen, the glasses thing will we'll be doing will be doing proprietary apps in the glasses thing. And if the if VR and AR don't happen, if metaverse never happens, well then we'll be all be we the other then then they're completely separate. You know, if they both happen, then we'll be doing Web three stuff in the metaverse. But then they're not they're not dependent on each other. Especially if you tie Web three to this idea of decentralization, you don't actually need decentralization to be able to have successful metaverse. No, I mean you need an ecosystem. Yeah. And I think so. So maybe sort of sort of sort of get kind of kind of sort of push into this a little bit. So. Um, you know, I'm a huge fan of sort of getting really, really specific around what you're actually talking about. So in sort of five to ten years time, here's the thesis, there will be some combination of AR, meaning you look through the device, and VR, meaning it kind of seals the device and you're placed in another world. And no one quite knows whether that's two devices or one device, or whether you wear a pair of glasses that can blank out and suddenly you're in another place, or whether there's are two devices, or whether only one of those works, or what. So this is sort of some combination of VR and AR. Um, and so you have a device that you can buy from, or two devices that you can buy from one of N companies. And those devices will run some kind of an operating system, and they will run some combination of different services and applications. And deterministically, some of that will be a kind of a gen, there will be some kind of a launcher, which in AR is probably looks like your iPhone screen. In VR might be like a 3D room that you walk into or something. And that might be a 3D kind of world of its own that you might walk around in and explore. And you could, you have to go down a back alley to find that application to launch that experience. Um, but there may be, you may have some sort of analog of a browser and you've got kind of one kind of general purpose model that loads all sorts of different stuff. And that may, and then you also have individual experiences, which is kind of what the iPhone did, that once you had that route to market, you can have many different pieces of software. Um, and so this kind of gets you to the first question, which is, is it, always, is it all kind of one unified experience or are there lots of very different things? And that also gets you to this sort of interoperability thesis, which is you can sort of somehow they're all standardized and all work together and you can move from one to another and you can take assets and property and experiences from one to the other, which gets, again, suddenly we've got very vague because you said, well, you can take assets and experiences and properties and it's all portable and interoperable. It's like, okay. Why? So so I'm playing Microsoft simula Flight Simulator. I'm playing some hyper-realistic VR simulation. I'm playing the Top Gun game some hyper-realistic simulation of flying an F-22. A friend of mine is playing Fortnite. Hop over. <laughs> so what would it mean for one... There's 100 people playing Fortnite, bouncing around an island, blowing each other up with giant cartoon guns and going, hee, hee, I just turned him into a giant piglet. And then you've got an F-22 at 65,000 feet with a bunch of air to ground. Like, that's not the same game. So what would it mean to say that I've bought my F-22 and I can play it in Fortnite? Oh, well, I can have my Fortnite avatar. I can have the same avatar in Fortnite and the flight game and in FIFA. Well, FIFA doesn't have avatars. Well, maybe it does, but like, where would, what would that mean? So I can, have my, I can wear my Manchester United shirt in Fortnite. Well, yeah, but, who but cares? that doesn't well, seem value. particularly in interesting or important. That seems to be the question. What's the added value? 
Like what's like why? And if you're running Fortnite, then you're spending an awful lot of time tweaking and adjusting and thinking about the mechanics of the gun and the weapon. You add this new gun or you add this new experience or this new thing you can do. So you add this new gun that lets you shoot giant exploding um, piglets at people and they bounce across the land and ground and explode in a shower of hot dogs. And if hot dog kills you, lands on you, um, you blow up. So I don't know if Fallout actually has this, but it sounds like if, uh, Tim, Tim, if you're listening, you can have that idea for free. Great idea. Because that's like a very, that's a very Fortnite kind of concept. Like, yeah. okay, I'm flying my F-22 in like a deep penetration mission into North Korea. Like, that's not the same thing. I mean, it's like, it's like, it's like saying you can connect your Tinder with your LinkedIn, with your Instagram. They're not exactly. the same thing. What does that mean? But, but okay. Is it possible that we're thinking about this in too much of a sidoed way and we're just not able to comprehend the potential world or the potential games of the future in mm. which these types of interoperability of moving your bringing your avatar bringing your features bringing your assets your gaming collectibles from one world to another creates something that we haven't even thought of well two answers to this so one of them is um there was what was that thing um ralph Rex the internet or what yes yes wreck it ralph wreck it ralph where you where you actually can bounce between the different games but but what? Course, and isn't that what, whole that, story where he gets lost in one of the yeah he gets he lost in the game he can't find back to, his way back to his game but please they're all completely different games it doesn't make any sense to move things between assets between different games maybe but but stepping taking two steps back of course how do we know we have no idea what this is going to look like in ten years time and so maybe there's maybe sort of two answers to this one of them is you know if we go back to and it's something I talked about every now and then is you know trying to predict mobile internet in two thousand you'd never have got it. Because you would, what would you have had to say? You'd have had to have said it has to be a real computer running a real operating system. The telcos will have no role. Um, bandwidth will be free and unlimited. There will be no portals. You will, you will, you, you will, and everything will be apps, not the web. Um, and it will be Apple, which is this kind of has been PC company nobody remembered. Like it was half forgotten. Um, and, and and Google, like what? And not Microsoft or Nokia. Yeah. Um, so even if you'd like, you'd known it, you would not have known. Even if you'd known it has to be a real PC with unlimited bandwidth running up, you'd never have predicted what would have happened. And in the same way, to try and predict what you'll be doing on VR and AR now, except in the most general terms, is very difficult, is, is impossible. Like you'll be wrong. Um, but there's a sort of a middle ground, which is to say, well, there's sort of some things we know about the mechanics of this stuff. And one of them is it has, you probably need to have an ecosystem because inherently, you know, the, 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 the apps on a PC, Microsoft didn't have to make all the software for the PC. They didn't have to make Photoshop and Autodesk and SAP. And Apple doesn't have to make Uber and Instagram and Tinder. They create an ecosystem and a platform and then lots of other, then there's this huge wave of innovation from thousands of other companies and this sort of, you know, create wave of kind of creative competition and destruction and so on that creates all these new services, this sort of Darwinian moment of creation. Um, and it seems to me, you, I think you could propose a sort of an inherent conflict between the idea that this all one kind of unified system and the idea that it's a, an, it's a completely freeform open platform where anyone can build whatever they want. Because if it's a freeform open platform and anyone can build whatever they want, then that gets you the F-22 simulator and Candy Crush. And they're not the same thing. And maybe you've got this VR launcher where you wander down different streets in a VR world to get to Candy Crush, but that's still not all going to get built by one company. And, that's going to, and you're going to hit whatever you do to launch the Candy Crush thing will be totally different once you're in that, it will not be the same thing any more than different apps on your iPhone are exactly the same thing and made by the same companies. And the interoperability layer is that they all use Apple's APIs and they can all plug into the camera and they all appear on the home screen. 
But within that, like, it doesn't mean anything to say that you're going to make Fortnite interoperable with Candy Crush. Because it's not... Um, and so I think that may be the, the, the deterministic model I'm proposing here in the, in, the, in, in the face of saying we have no idea and you can't possibly predict, is to say the ones that will win will be ones that are open platforms in the way that the iPhone was an open platform. And I do mean deliberately to say the iPhone is an open platform. It has millions of apps and billions of downloads. It's an open platform. Um, that's what will win is the one that unlocks all of that innovation, which almost, I don't, it seems to me absolutely inherent to that to say that you have many different kinds of applications. It's fascinating to me that we just like, since forever, we've been having these conversations about interoperability. And even when we talk about like the blockchain networks, they're still very siloed in the way that they're built. And I, I don't know where I read this, but I really liked the analogy of they're like these independent cities with their economic mm. center and business center. But without the highways and the transportation that goes from one city to another, you're missing that interoperability. You're missing that it's bigger than the sum of each of these individual cities. There's something there that's really interesting that we keep building things well, well, in this silo manner. There's a sort of question of, of, of which layer is the interoperability yes. layer. Um, so clearly, like, I mean, you know, if you think about the way social apps work on a smartphone, they all have the home screen, they all have notifications, they all have, or originally they all had your address book, which was meant they all knew who your friends were without you having to type it in. Um, that was before we worried about privacy. Um, and they all have the camera. They all have the network, you know, they have connectivity, and they're all kind of one press. So you, it was easier to press the home button and go to another app than to navigate the hamburger menu and to kind of swipe around to find that function inside one general purpose app. Um, and so the smartphone operating system was the interoperability layer. Um, and then the internet is the, the interoperability layer. Um, and, you know, you can then you can, and then the sharing panel. So you can share from TikTok into Instagram or vice versa. Um, and so... Like, yes, there's always interoperability at some layer. Which one? But there's also, as you know, as I've sort of said four or five times, there's a layer at which it doesn't make any sense to try and move assets back and forth between different things. Um, and so you have to work out, well, what's the right layer of abstraction? Just as on an iPhone, you don't have read-write access to the file system mm. as an app. And you don't need it. You just ask the operating system. You don't have, you know, raw access to the hardware. You go through API layers. And so there's always that question of, well, which layer in the stack is the interoperable layer? And it's exactly the same thing if one if one looks at kind of Web3. Um, you know, there's clearly layers. There's clearly layers at which, well, that application, that feature, that kind of smart contract, that kind of utility doesn't exist on that one. And it exists on this one. And so you can't move it from that to that. You can take some lower level components back and forth or high level components, but you're never going to have all of them completely interoperable because then they wouldn't, well, then they wouldn't be different things. You'd be looking at exactly. I mean, this, this is. Goes, yes. I mean, it kind of goes back. Like, if they were all completely, completely cross interoperable, then they would be all be just the same thing. That's a really good point, actually. Of when to right back at the beginning of the conversation of let's get specific here. Of just like when we're talking about interoperability, what type of interoperability do you mean, and at what level? I remember when I was working in the Commission, working on interoperability, it would always be like I think we had. I mean, so this is the European Commission in yeah, Brussels. Yeah, European for, Commission, for, Brussels, for, that little for, building. For, for ninety nine point eight percent of our audience, who don't immediately understand <laughs> no what idea you mean what I'm by talking. the Commission. Yes, the European yeah, Commission. Yeah, so so you know this is this is the boys in Chicago, the the commission. Yeah, um, but I remember they had interoperability into three different buckets, like indifferent interoperability, cooperative interoperability, and adversarial, depending on where the two mm. parts 
were open to each other, where it was one that was using the API without, you know, product A knowing that product B was. It was just interesting, again, to your point, like, let's get specific here, what type of interoperability we're talking about, um, mm. which I think we just always skip over, which I also think is fascinating because we talk, again, we've been talking about interoperability, I find, for 50 years. And it seems like we still and, going round and well, round. Well, you still ex- you still ex- you still export a CSV. And you still export. Um, this is kind of it's like the, co- the cockroach of the internet: CSV, and, <laughs> CSV, and uh, and, P- and PDFs. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, the which is the other. I mean, the other part of this is. I mean, this gets you to this phrase like the metaverse, or building the metaverse, or building a metaverse. Which again, I feel like you should do a search and replace in all these conversations and replace it with mobile internet. And just imagine having this conversation in 2005 or 2010. So like, well, we're going to build a mobile internet and they're going to build one as well. And we need to make sure that our mobile internet is compatible with their mobile internet. Like, what the hell does that mean? And yes, you can, you could sit and say, oh, well, the apps on the iPhone are different from the apps on Android. But that's not, that doesn't mean they're not interoperable in any kind of important sense. You know, I can send email back and forth. I can send pictures. I can run Instagram and Facebook and Netflix on both of those. Um, They're different operating systems and different APIs. Well, that's good because actually we don't want some, you know, there's a sort of a narrow line between sort of having everything. I mean, I can't think how to put this. Well, last time we talked about this, sort of six months or so ago, I'll say, I use this phrase information superhighway. And so for anyone young listening to this, so back in the early 90s, before some of you were born, there were maybe tens of millions of PCs on Earth, 20, 30, 40 million PCs on Earth, most of them in companies. So there were like five or 10 million PCs in consumer, in family homes. And people kind of say, well, and, and, and Windows 3.1 is, is the thing, and the Mac is still a thing. Windows 95 hasn't happened yet. And so people are kind of saying, well, these things look like they might be quite interesting and important, and maybe like a lot of people will have them. Like maybe, quite, maybe like, like tens of millions of people might have a PC. And maybe they'll be connected to some kind of network that might let you pass information back and forth. This is still at a, at a moment when, you know, a lot of people in technology are talking in terms of terminals and multimedia terminals. Um, and so it was not clear that the P, even clear that the PC was going to be this dominant thing. Um, and so you had this phrase, well, if everybody has a computer of some kind, maybe it's a PC, probably not a PC, probably more like a terminal because a PC is too complicated, maybe a multimedia terminal, maybe it's a television so maybe it's a connect, you know, maybe we add intelligence to the television or to the cable box. And so we're going to call this, we're going to come up with a name for this. We're going to call this the information superhighway. And it's going to be sort of standardized and there'll be kind of committee meetings. And that will be some combination of big technology companies and phone companies and media companies and TV companies and governments. This will be designed um, by sort of... AT&T and the New York Times Company and Bertelsmann and Disney and News Corporation and British Telecom and NTT in Japan and um, NHK will have proposed a new standard for how you would do this. And so it all sort of work like satellite TV and cable, that it will be this completely sealed box standard in which the telcos, the phone companies, the TV companies... Um, and the media companies will sort of get together and decide how it works. 
and you'll buy this box and you'll turn it on and there'll be like three buttons on it. And a small number of hobbyists will be able to write software for it if they crack it and then people will prosecute them the way people prosecuted people for cracking DVD encryption and so on. But basically it will work like cable TV in that sense of like a sealed controlled experience. Um, and that's that phrase, the information superhighway, just sort of sums up to me that idea it's this sort of centrally controlled, top-down standardized system. Um, it's a system. That's a really important, that's a good word here, system, which is also sort of how SMS worked. You know, it was a standardized system um, that, you know, was drawn up by a standards body and then implemented by the telecoms equipment companies and the telcos and the billing systems and the handsets. And the reason that SMS has been sort of frozen ever since is because you'd have to get a whole new standard and get everyone to put it in. And that's not the way the world works anymore. And of course, then the internet arrives and there's no one in charge. And it's all evolved through kind of chaotic decentralized consensus. And you have these sort of strategic points in the stack that are mostly standardized, basically TCP IP and HTML and HTTP and a few other things and SMTP and IMAP and so on. Um, but the way that Facebook works is up to Facebook. It's not up to a committee deciding what features they can add because you have this abstraction layer in the web browser, but the web browser doesn't decide what Facebook's allowed to do except at a very, very low level. You know, new technologies get added to the web browser that enabled Google Maps, that enable streaming, that enable doing voice in the browser. But the browser companies don't decide what Facebook's business model is. Of course, now they kind now they kind of are with all the privacy stuff. Um, but they don't kind of sit and say, well, no, we're not going to let you do friend requests because that's not in the standard for another two years. That's not that's there's different layers in the stack. The standardization is at the browser level. It's not at the level of what features does YouTube have? Does YouTube have likes? Does YouTube have a recommendation engine? That's not determined by the IETF or by by Chrome. And so this is sort of the same thing. We kind of go back to talking about metaverse. Well, Apple adds APIs to the iPhone, but that doesn't determine what Tinder can do. Like Tinder didn't have to wait to do swipe left and right for Apple to add that as an API. Apple just has a multi-touch API and you can build whatever you want. And Tinder and um, TikTok both, not TikTok, yeah, Tinder and TikTok both do that. But it's not like TikTok had to lobby a committee to persuade people to do a vertical swipe, which is kind of how cable TV would have done it. All of which is to say, like going down a kind of a rabbit hole in history, but I'm like, now people talk about building a metaverse and they're talking about it like it's going to be cable TV. Like there's going to be, I mean, this is like, there's a sort of paradox here that I'm kind of groping towards slightly incoherently, which is the more that you try and make things open and standardized, and interoperable and portable, the more you're actually describing cable TV, not the internet. Because the whole fucking point of the internet is actually how little of it is standardised as much as how much, depending on which layer in the stack you're looking at. But are we talking standardization or are we talking interconnection between all of these different protocols? Well, interconnection of what layer? <sighs> at the smartphone, at, at the launcher? Anyone can add an app to the launcher? Anyone can access the camera? Anyone can access the, you know, the display and the motion sensors. Yeah, sure, that's all open. Do I want to be able to take my F-22 into Candy Crush? For what purpose? Well, yeah. What? What is that? What does that mean? I guess what I'm getting at is if, and again, maybe this is 
this is maybe me looking at it too much from a regulatory perspective, but if for so long we've been complaining that these big tech companies and the Web2 world in which we are today hold so much power and the solution isn't to ask more of these big tech companies, but maybe the solution is to create more interoperability, which then moves the power outside of the big tech companies and focuses more on the interoperability aspect. Mm. I don't know where I'm going with this, but... Well, there's a chat. There, there are different chat. There are different challenges here because one of them is, I mean, it's a point that I make with kind of probably boring frequency. Is there's a conflict between interoperability and privacy? Because if you say, you know, you can say make it easy to export. You know, the competition regulator says make it easy to export data, and the privacy regulator yeah. says it's make it hard to export data. Because actually, most of the data isn't your data. You know, if you're if you're an Instagram user, the important data is who's liked your pictures and what else they've liked, and who else has liked those pictures, and which pictures you've liked, and what you follow and what other pictures those people posted that you didn't like. That's the data that lets Instagram understand you and none of that is your data. It's other people, or it's all your data and other people's data. So there's a whole sort of set of tensions in that there within that portability with other policy objectives. Um, the other one is, yeah, like, yes, there's a, there's a certainly, I mean, you, this is, I don't, don't want to kind of talk about, use the E, the e word, um, but, you know, when one talks about things like content moderation, which is where we sort of get to this sort of, you know, there's, there's sort of there's sort of two sort of you know what is the power? One of them is sort of content moderation, which is YouTube or Instagram can kick you off, and the other is who gets the money. And the problem with the content moderation argument, which Elon will sort of slowly realise, just as he sort of slowly realised how the car industry works, is um, that like ninety like the vast majority of the, the decisions are not. Um, the lab leak theory from China or Hunter Biden's laptop. They're not things where people disagree. They are, you know, things where literally everybody who thinks content moderation is bad would look at that and go, oh, right, yeah, okay, I kind of understand why you take that down. And the sort of best example I saw today is um, telling people that suicide is good and you should kill yourself is not illegal. Yeah. Do you want that on your platform? It's an ethical, moral question. Yes or no? Do you want somebody? Do you want someone to run an advertising camp, a campaign targeting fifteen-year-old girls with body issues, telling them that cutting their arms will make them feel better? That's actually not illegal. Do you want to wait for the government to make it illegal, or do you want to say, actually, no, we're not going to allow that? You know, what do you want to do? Um, and the the point is, this isn't like the free free exchange of ideas. Um, and so, there's a, my point is, there's a sort of there's a sort of straw man in the sense of these big tech companies have too much power. Like, well, what do you think? Most of the, that you, yeah. most of the way they use the power is stuff that you actually wouldn't object to at all. Um, the the other side of it is 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 the distribution of money, which gets you to very web and gets you to a web three conversation, not a metaverse conversation. If you decide you want the money and the power distributed in different ways, fine, build it on web three. That could be a metaverse application, it could be a smartphone application, it could be a desktop internet application, it could be a PC application, for that matter. That has no no dependency at all on, on metaverse. I think this is why, this is, I think what you've just said there is what brings me back to this whole thing of, I feel like we're going round and round in circles with this conversation of interoperability, not us, well, us two maybe, but as a society. And the, the, there's all, on the one hand, there's all of these benefits, you know, innovation, autonomy, flexibility, choice, etc., access. And then on the same hand, for all of these benefits, for every benefit, there's a big, massive risk, which is, you know, privacy risk, security, increased homogeneity, like you just said, um, accountability, accessibility, mm. business model, for all of that. So it's just like, there's like a give and take situation here of what we're trying to going back to your question of what we're trying to solve why do we want this interoperability in the first place mm. and i can see it when it comes to things like healthcare and re- healthcare records and stuff like that again has nothing to do with the metaverse mm. but when we come back to conversations about the metaverse is why do we want this and 
I get excited when people say, yeah, I'd love to have, my, you know, just like I can take my physical assets from one house to another, one country to another. I'd love to do that online in the metaverse. I go, yeah, great. And then you stop and think, but why? Well, Who cares? So, what for? What purpose? So there's a, uh, there's a whole layer around, um, which we haven't sort of talked about, which is to what extent, if you have sort of fundamentally different experiences in metaverse, in a sort of a VR, in a VR environment or an AR environment. Different to what? Um, how much to what would you be okay. doing on a smartphone? So for the sake of argument, you walk into, you, so you buy an NFT that is a cool thing that hovers over your head that everyone can see as you walk into a bar. And if somebody else has another specific NFT and they walk next to you, then your NFTs interact and do something cool. Okay. Um, you, you have sort of, which is sort of contrast to sort of talking about FIFA or Fortnite and so on. You have stuff that's very much sort of expressive of your identity. You bought that rare thing in the same way that you might buy rare it says something about or who you are. Or something. And it has some sort of aspect of property and self-expression. And should your ownership of that be tied to Instagram or YouTube? Or should it be independent of that? so that you owned it in some sort of meaningful sense and you could then plug it you could then plug it into Instagram and display it in one way plug it into YouTube and display it another way now you could certainly propose that you know in a VR or AR world those things are much more important or much more powerful because you're sort of seeing people more as opposed to just kind of getting a character name and a you know a little avatar but um, and that's an inter- there's an interoperability layer to that. The challenge is at this point we're sort of designing social networks in ten years' time. Absolutely. Which kind of comes back to my you know the more we spend time we spend saying so this is how I think it's all going to work. The more you're like we have no idea how this is going to work. So maybe don't worry about it quite so much. Um, but it but it kind of circles back on my sort of you know my sort of well what do we mean by metaverse question because now suddenly we can it's very it's a very short step from what I've just said to say well you'll be using metaverse applications on your smartphone. Which to me sounds like saying you'll be using, of course, you'll be using mobile internet stuff on your desktop. Like, well, what do you mean? So I can use Instagram on my desktop. Is that, does that mean I'm using the mobile internet? We don't even really say the mobile internet anymore. I mean, there was a moment when we said internet and mobile internet. Now we say internet and desktop internet. And there are certainly some experiences and things that don't really work on, on, on desktop, like TikTok, for example, or, you know, Tinder, and you know, it would be kind of clunky to try and do that. Um, but you can also get kind of too bound up in that kind of definitional question of, of you know, it's like, oh, it's like the whole, is that a tech company thing? Well, what do you mean by, is that the metaverse or not? Um, but it also means, I, it comes back to what I said at the, set at the beginning, which is, can we try and be a bit more specific than saying mm-hmm. metaverse? Are you talking about a, a, a VR experience? Because if you're really talking about an actual VR experience, then of course you can't do that on the desktop. If you're actually talking about a game or social experience of some kind that is absolutely transformative because it's in VR, then that's VR. That's not on the desktop. If you're saying, um, here's an app that I can use on a big screen, a small screen, a VR screen, and it, which is sort of Instagram, okay, yeah, there's levels of interactivity based on where you are. Do we argue about that? So this one is metaverse and that one isn't? Well, then that just you, that's just kind of why that's not a helpful term. It's sort of like saying, well, 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 it's um, it, this is a funny kind of way. I remember um, like in the mid '90s, over and over again, you would sort of have to explain the difference between the internet and the web because people really didn't understand that the web was something on that the you internet did on the internet. Yes. 
And there were other things that you could do on the internet too. And the web, and, and you know, only when you actually try and explain it to somebody who's never used a PC or never really done anything other than Microsoft Word, it's actually quite difficult to say, well, the internet's the network. So it's a telephone system. No, no. So it's, and then, then you kind of stand up drawing a stack diagram, like talking about TCP IP, which of course gets incredibly confusing. Um, and that's exactly where we are today with Metaverse and Web3 and blockchain. Yeah, um, there will be these different things you do on it. Now, do we worry that there are different websites that aren't interoperable with each other? Well, what exactly does that mean? Do we worry that the web isn't interoperable with um, email? Well, or with Gopher or with FTP or well, it will, don't worry. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it will work it's not. Don't, don't come back worry. Ten, come back in 10 years and we'll find out. What's been fascinating just by like having this conversation here is just how much the interoperability piece is tied to you mm. as an individual versus mm. to your point, flying a plane in another Candy Crush game. It's actually mm. about what does it mean about you? What are you trying to tell people when you want to go into another space or another metaverse and bring mm. with you other items that you've collected or gained or tied to your avatar from another space? That I thought that is actually really interesting. Mm. it's tied to you as an individual and what you're trying to say about you and bring it into other spaces, which essentially is what we do as human beings. Like, why do I wear a certain, I know you don't wear caps or hats, but why would you wear a football team's hat or a baseball hat and take it into somewhere else? You're trying to say to people something about yourself and what you stand for, or you're not. Um, but I thought that was really interesting because I don't think I'd ever thought about it from a, that unique lens of it's It's about it us. It is. It is. I mean, it it does get to that sense of um, well, what would those new forms of self-expression it. be? Because of course you can't take, of course you can't take an F twenty two into Candy Crush. But to what extent do you have experiences and ways of self-expression that actually you kind of can take between different things? And what would that mean? How would that matter? I like that. And will they all be? And will they all be worth fifty million dollars each? Probably, probably not. Will we trade in them? Probably not. I love it. That was really good. It just goes to show, uh, I really like the parallel between, we've, it feels like we've been here before. It's like a bit of a deja vu. We've, we've had the same struggles of languages and asking the right questions and mm. figuring out why all of this is top of mind and how we're talking about it. Yes. But I kind of come back, you know, my, 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 my sort of repeating this metaphor a lot, but I, I always kind of wonder what you mean by yeah. interoperability. And I wonder what you mean yeah. by metaverse. And I think it's always kind of much more useful to try and find the middle ground between, like, of course, you can't predict what we'll be doing on the internet in 15 years time. But to try and get specific about, well, what is it that you think that would do or not do? And how would that work? Because um, at least then you can be wrong in specific ways rather than unspecific ways. I love ways. it. Amazing. Speak to you later. Speak to you later.